This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. From time to time, we're going to catch up with the people who have shared their story on the show. Last time we caught up with Mark Jensen, he was trying everything to keep the business alive, including hiring the help of Keith, a part-time restaurant manager and full-time mannequin. Jensen had found what he believed to be a new sustainable restaurant model. But things have evolved even further since then. Mark, how are you going? I'm very well, Anthony. How are you? Good. Has Keith survived during this time? <laughs> well, Keith, Keith is is still surviving. He's he's about, but he's I've had to retire. He's, <laughs> his his services were no longer required. Uh, it's been ages since we caught up and you shared sort of what has happened with Red Lantern. Um, what's happened yeah. now that sort of trade is almost back to normal? There's still some restrictions. What, what's this period of time been like? Oh, it's been crazy, like you just said. I mean, it's absolute, absolutely been a lifetime. I mean, so much has changed. Uh, the last time we spoke, I was talking about Red Lantern in a box and how we got that up and going. And, and that, you know, that business was doing so well. I was so impressed with it. It was the perfect business to run out of your garage, actually, with like no overheads. I'd, I'd be... Um, I'd be retiring right now as I speak to you. Um, but you're right, with the opening of, of, of restrictions, people could go back and dine in the restaurant and, and literally overnight the demand for that product fell. So within two weeks of people being able to go back into restaurants, I actually pulled the plug on Red Lantern in a box. It, you know, it served, it served us well, but uh, time moved on. So it, it has been interesting because, you know, as you know, uh, baby steps from 10 to 20 and then the one for um, one person per four square meter rule kicked in. So that still means, unfortunately for us, we're only limited to sort of 36 people in a venue that can sit up to 80 people. So, you know, we're, it's quite incredible actually and it's been um, very, very challenging. That's presented new challenges uh, just to get people through the door. I think that... You know, demand has really softened and it's one of those things. I also talked about social media, how I was spending a lot of time on social media. It's sort of like I've got to the point now where I'm just sort of, again, trying new things to try and um, be front of mind to get to get um, the clientele back because it, it's a tough road back to, to normality. Seating 36 people when you can normally seat 80 seems like that would be hard to make money and what's... What's it like seeing other restaurants? What's what are you seeing out there? Is it, do you think people are sticking to the restrictions? I th- I think there's been a major change. The last time we spoke, I was saying how many people weren't. I think most people are now, but now it depends on how big they are. And obviously, restaurants with outdoor seating uh, seating are doing doing better. Uh, yeah, and so I think it's it's more positive. I think it just will take something just to get people's confidence to get out and about. I I know a lot of restaurants around here have closed or have uh, failed to reopen. So, you know, uh, hospitality is still under fire. I know some restaurants that are are doing well. I mean, especially regional restaurants, which I think is absolutely fantastic. So the dynamic has kind of changed a little bit. Uh, The CBD in Sydney is still very soft. And um, I would even say where I am in Darlinghurst, things are, are very soft as well. Uh, it's interesting, uh, if I can take you back a little bit, we were actually trading quite well and I was building slowly and I was quite positive for the future. Uh, but then we had an outbreak in Potts Point, uh, not once but twice. 
And literally overnight, I had uh, customers again cancelling reservations and business dropped again dramatically. And to tell you the truth, that's been about 11 weeks ago and it's frustrating because I just haven't been able to build momentum and I'm sort of trading at that lesser point again almost consistently every week. It's, it's almost like I'm, I'm consistently doing the same number of people, taking consistently the same amount of money, but you and I both know that business is not about staying the same or trading water. We have to show growth. So we have to increase the numbers of customers we do and, and generate more um, revenue, more dollars through the till. It's interesting because a lot of people are worried about there being cases in their own restaurants, but it's actually the spot cases within a suburb over that can affect your restaurant so much. What sort of landscape are you expecting us to be in in the next two years? We've had 20 or so cases in Adelaide and seen borders closing. Like, How are you feeling about the potential in the next two years? Well, obviously there's a lot riding on a vaccine um, being made available uh, soon. But also I think it's a, we've come to a point where we just have to accept that this virus lives in our community and we have to go forward, you know, abiding by all the measures that are in place, but also uh, real, realising that there's inherent risk in everything we do in life. There are no guarantees anywhere in life. So it's one of those things where if we want to maintain a vibrant hospitality industry, people are going to have to you know, calculate the risk and realise that, sure, there's a possibility, but each, as each day passes, that possibility um, decreases. When we were caught up last time, you were talking about the perfect sort of restaurant model and um, how you can cut costs with the structure of a menu. What's the current situation with Relat and what are you offering? I'm still offering a set banquet menu because I was talking about the efficiencies of a banquet menu and, and limiting choice. I have, you know, but I got to the point where I was thinking whether that was dissuading people from attending the restaurant. So uh, two nights a week, I'm still only trading four nights a week. Uh, two nights of the week, Wednesday and Thursday, I offer the banquet menu and a very limited a la carte menu. Uh, but, you know, I find that most people take the banquet menu anyway, but it's just nice to give people that choice. Uh, but I have no desire to go back to an a la carte model anytime soon. Uh, I, it makes sense on the number of people that I can employ. And like I said, business isn't growing. It's, it's, we're treading water, so I don't have the capital to to invest in employing new people. And I think a lot of people are now finding that to be a, a bit of a frustration where they might want to put the hammer down or, or roll the dice and, and say, okay, let's take business from four nights a week to five. But they possibly can't really afford to, to employ someone, but now we're also finding that there is no one to employ for vacant, you know, <laughs> vacancy ads are going unanswered, which is just, totally ironic but I guess totally expected given that unfortunately migrant workers were sent home. You've got a, a nice little laneway behind the restaurant there and at one stage you had a you had a cocktail bar at the back of Red Lantern. What, what have you done that's a bit different now in this time? Well you know I thought COVID is a time to just you know try try anything like throw caution to the wind and many people don't know this but many years ago before I became a chef I actually trained as, as a hairdresser so I've got two trades under, under my belt and what I've done is actually turned the back um, 
dining room uh, into a barbershop. Wow. So I've opened the cut, the cut barbershop and gentlemen's collective. <laughs> wow. What's, what's it been like running a barber and a restaurant at the same time? Well, it's actually really cool. I think the other day was a perfect example of what I want to happen because it's it's about, you know, just creating a, a hub. And, I mean, it's not exclusively for men. I, I guess I should say I cut short hair well. So the thing is I just want, <laughs> I just want to make it a destination because I've got um, clothes in here. I've got some really cool designers in here. I'm going to get a stereo and records in here so people can come and listen to records, maybe browse at the clothes buy a beer, I can potentially take them through to the restaurant too, so they can buy a meal. And the other day, the absolute gold standard moment happened for me when a customer walked in, he, he walked in down the laneway and went, wow, this is cool. This is like being in Japan. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm just walking down this laneway, I can smell food, but you're cutting hair here and you've got clothes. And he came in and had a haircut. And then he's well, you know, chatting to him. He's talking about how it's his responsibility to organise, um, you know, the Christmas uh, party this year for the office. And I said, well, let me take you through <laughs> to the front of the restaurant. <laughs> and I booked him a table for twelve. So, so this is ultimately the vision. Ultimately, what I want to happen uh, with this space. And you know, it's also a safe space because I realise this time it's like. You know, we touched briefly on mental health before but uh, in our previous chat. But I think this is a time where, you know, if I can provide a safe space for people to come and, and hang out and, um, you know, just open up conversations about how they're feeling, that you know, about present, future. And also, you know, I've got a wealth of, of information about running restaurants. I've been running one, this one for 20 and I've been in the hospitality industry for, for 30 years. So come and have a haircut. You know, if someone can sit down, have a haircut, shoot the breeze and, and ask me anything. And it's a really safe space and it's quite um, exciting, the conversations that you can have in a barber's chair. With international tourists out of the picture, but lots of people home for the first time in years, what sort of summer do you think it's going to be? Again, I think it's going to be an interesting one because uh, regional restaurants, I have a few friends um, with regional restaurants and, and they've always done all right. But now it's just like boom time because people are, uh, you know, they're travelling at home now. They have no alternative. So they're getting out and, and travelling the country, which is an awesome thing. So I, I'll see a bit of a boom in uh, regional. Uh, as for the CBD, I really don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully it's a... It's a, it's a a beach weather summer and um, people will elect to stay around and maybe they'll get out and support um, their local restaurants. You're in Darlinghurst and you mentioned that the market is still pretty soft there. What sort of things need to change to help restaurants in sort of CBD locations like yourself? Well, interestingly, because I was, I'm, you know, I was all for people working at home, but then that's actually uncovered the fact that, you know, it's really identified who is introverted and who's extroverted. But I think, uh, you know, if we can get to a point where at least half the workforce comes back into the CBD, um, that would be that would be a good thing, um, because we need we need um, people and we need we need people working again uh, to keep our industry vital. When we last caught up, you mentioned that you're spending a bit bit of time in the kitchen and also on social media. How do you prefer to spend your time now, cutting hair or in the kitchen? What are, what are we going to see from Mark Jensen more often than not? Well, I was saying to um, 
Pauline, uh, my wife, the other day. I said, actually, cutting hair is going to make me a, a better cook. And she kind of looked at me a bit perplexed. But the thing is, it's I've had almost 20 years nonstop on the pans. And, I mean, that's that's intense, man. <laughs> like dealing – I don't know too many like people post 50 who are literally pulling – sort of services on the pans these days. And to actually step out, it's it's sort of like my little barbershop sabbatical where I can actually, you know, sit and ponder because the barbershop's a totally different pace. So I get time to to sit down and reflect and to to think about about food and, and, and just life in general. And the beauty of where I'm situated here, my kitchen is just through through the corridor to the left. So I can still be very hands-on and supervise what's going on and still be here, still be present in the restaurant um, to make sure that everything fires. What's next for Red Lantern? We've seen um, Keith. We've seen you've turned it into a barber as well. And how, how are you feeling about your spot in the industry moving forward? Well, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this one because um, previously we spoke, I was saying how there's going to be, I feel there's going to be a real demarcation between the top end, the aspirational restaurants, and uh, the lower end where people just go and eat. And I think the real struggle street's going to be where I'm situated now, that that family-run, bigger restaurant, um, which will have a little bit of an identity crisis, I think, uh, going forward. So I'm, I'm thinking about really honing my offering, uh, potentially making it a little uh, bit more casual. I think um, I, I just think oh, I'm one of many who are just sort of really looking at their business plan going forward. So uh, I'm kind of hoping in a perfect world that, you know, I've got the barbershop here. I've got potential to expand onto the streets so maybe make that kind of more of a casual drinking environment and then just lower lower the price point a little bit throughout the restaurant but still deliver that Red Lantern experience just so it's more of a drop-in, more casual because I think that even though I'm the middle price point, I'm still seen as a destination kind of place because people still come here and I'm very fortunate people still come here to celebrate anniversaries, birthdays and big occasions, occasions in their life. So I'd like to retain that but also open it up to um, a different market. And I think that is the key, How, like actually getting some inroads into different markets so that, you know, you're getting a little bit here, a little bit there, all adding to the pot of success. When we last caught up, you mentioned... We, we talked about how nearly everyone on the series had realised that they had a family and I think you mentioned the fact that that time that everyone has had had made them realise all of the energy they were putting into restaurants and whether it was worth it. Um, how, how are you feeling about that sort of that sort of thing as part of the future of hospitality of um, less hours and um, more care in regards to mental health? Oh, I think that's key going forward. I, I listened to your Dan Barber um, podcast, and and it sounds like he's pretty much doing <laughs> the same thing. I think one of what one one thing we've seen from this is people have actually um, taking stock of their lives and thought, I don't know if it's worth it. And we've had a mass. I, I I might be going on a limb here, but I don't think so. We've had a max mass exodus of people who made this restaurant great they've just decided that it's it's time to retrain it's time to maybe get a, a day job um so it's going to be challenging going forward uh 
employing the staff that we need, the people that we need to, to keep the, the restaurant scene vibrant. But, but I think it's doable and I really um, think that as soon as the borders open and, and students come, come back, and because let's be serious, I mean, students and migrant workers are the backbone of this industry today. And until they come back and are allowed to work, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard. We've already got, I've already hearing stories of people advertising and not getting anyone to apply for a position. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of unheard of. I never thought I'd ask this of you, Mark, but what actually makes a good short back and sides? <laughs> well, I, I, I think it's it's being methodical, and it, you know, it, it's funny. It's a bit like cooking. Like I've named I named the rest uh, the barbershop the Cut Gentleman's Collective, but I actually named the name came from um, that series Sons of Anarchy, where the, where the, the bikers are always talking about the cut. So it was that sense of brotherhood. So the cut came, sort of came from that. But then as I was thinking about it, the, you know, the cut with my, my career with knives and my career <laughs> with scissors kind of makes sense as well. But, like, I find that barbering is, is a little bit like cooking. You, you, it's like you're following a recipe and you're being very methodical. So the key to a very good back and, uh, short back and sides is being methodical. Amazing. Mark, you're a bloody legend. It's always good to catch up. And uh, I, I can't even imagine what, iteration of Red Lantern we're going to see when we catch up next time but I'm sure it'll be entertaining um, we've loved uh, having you on Deep in the Weeds mate keep in touch and um, we'll catch up with you again soon oh fantastic it's a pleasure thank you this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke making this all happen follow us on instagram at deep in the weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deep in the stay safe and be well <laughs>